Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's go! Come on! And once again, the limelight down in the heart of the village is on the air with its Salute to Jersey. <laughs> How do you like that, Jersey? <laughs> oh, what a sense of... Oh, stop it. Now, there's always one old klutz that's got a clap. Ah. Hooray for Jersey. What do you mean, hooray for... I'm waiting for the day when Jersey levels and puts right on the bottom of their license plate the junkyard state. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boo, boo, boo! <laughs> Chauvinism is rampant. Well, all right. We're on the air from the limelight deep in the heart of festering Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village where love and beauty, truth, <laughs> and passion flows like a great turgid river down to the lower bay. <laughs> oh, yes, and we'll be here until midnight. And before we get deeply involved in tonight's fiasco, let us all here in the limelight pause briefly for just a moment and think of those millions of poor unfortunates who are riding their automobiles here and there over the American landscape, who are sitting on front, yes, that's right, who are wasting their lives and who who ain't here tonight. Oh, oh you poor klutzes out there. <laughs> Can't you see this guy? He's way out near the Trenton Interchange. What's the matter with this nut? <laughs> He's been convincing his chick for a week that the best thing they can do is to this night go down to the Howard Johnson. And the chick says, wait a minute. I want to hear what he has to say. Then he knows there's how many of you men know that little problem? That little fugitive problem of maintaining in that tiny capsule of the automobile the proper ambience for total romance. <laughs> and finding it ain't easy riding through a gigantic refinery. <laughs> they keep sneaking in through the window, and you're telling her, Clara, I just can't express to you. I just can't tell you how much you mean to me. You're driving along, waiting for her to sneak closer. The radio is on, playing Montefani music, and all of a sudden you get that gigantic whiff of those distilleries. 
it floats in. And they've got a very peculiarly evocative smell, as you know. And it kills romance. Well, this is June, friends. This is the time. Do you realize that this month is going to see more people make a move that will affect their entire life? Their whole life. And probably there must be a couple of thousand of them listening right now. Do you have any words of advice for them out there? <laughs> and I might tell you folks, this is coming from a group of people who tried it. And you can see them sitting down here glaring at one another. It's that big that big eternal fight to try to find something to talk about something to do and by the way that's one of the funniest things that I ever that, that I have to go through every week when I get up here I look down see and I can see these little tables each one's got a little crowd of people around it you know and it's like you're looking at a little Tennessee William drama oh you can see it you know there's a little purple haze of tension that floats you know than half of them, you know. And the tension comes from this. There is always one person at every table who is the one that brought them. And is he worried? <laughs> and the others are sort of sitting there, you know, with a little ketchup on their mouth, looking up. <laughs> and he keeps saying, I see him bend over, and he says, he gets better later on, you see? <laughs> he warms up. And you can see the look of fear around his eyes. He warms up. <laughs> oh man well it, it's alright just be calm it's June and everywhere you look there are kids about to graduate now this is a universal experience practically every one of us has graduated from something take me I graduated from the low speed code school at Fort Monmouth New Jersey Oh, practically each one of us has graduated in one way or another for, from something. And, and tonight, as I'm coming down to this little festering pot of sin down here, I am riding along on my motor scooter, and I'm going past all these shine cars containing four people, two couples, the double date. You know, and you can see those haircuts from a mile away. You can see those shiny necks from behind. And you can see the corsages. You know those, those, those fantastically repellent corsages that guys keep giving girls. I'll never forget the first corsage I gave to a girl. And I spent my entire life's income on it. I had saved for years. And now I shot the whole $12. Oh, it was a big moment. You know, I knew you had to give, you know, had to give a corsage to the girl at the prom. And we're dancing around, and Sarge is breathing at me. It was a white orchid. Have you ever seen anything more ugly than a white orchid with a big yellow tongue sticking out? <laughs> and it's got a vaguely garbagey scent, you know? <laughs> And I'm stirring this chick around, you know, and, and she keeps saying... And by the way, she had a strange puce-colored dress. 
and it went great with that yellow tongue. That and the sweat, you know, and the Japanese lanterns and the band playing, and the fact that there was a guy that kept dancing around next to us who was nine and a half feet tall and who kept giving her the eye. And he was this fantastically handsome guy. And I'm thinking, so, well, Esther Jane, uh, let's try this now, you know? And she's looking up off in this direction somewhere, you know? And he just keeps cooling around there back of her. By the way, he later married her. Thank God. Boy. Well, I remember, I don't know whether any of you have ever had the occasion to speak to a graduating class. Boy, that's a, that's a strange feeling. I remember I'm a kid, see, the first time I'm graduating, you know. I'm in high school. And you know that, that how quickly that last two weeks go. It's a wild, sudden emergence. It's there, you know, and, and, and you're renting the gown. Do you remember when you went down to rent the gown? They said, what size are you? I said, what do you mean, what size? You mean short size? There's no gown size. That's well, sort of medium. Okay. And they held that gown up. You remember the gown? That long black thing with the little thing with the thing that hung down. And it's got a special wool scratchy lining. And it, and it, it makes you feel like it's 175 degrees in the shade. And I put that gown on and I stood there and immediately my mother said, We've got to get a picture. <laughs> We've got to get a picture. I'm standing in the john, you know, looking at myself in the mirror, and the thing. I'm beginning to sweat. And the next instant, I am out on the lawn. How many of you stood out on the lawn in the middle of broad daylight? And your mother's got the brownie down there. And she says, well, are you standing? Are you, would you either pull in your stomach or pull in your bottom? Which is it? In a gown, are you standing there like this? And she pauses for a minute. That long pregnant pause. You know that pause when somebody's taking a picture of you and your mouth keeps going. <laughs> you know, there's a little strange tick that sets in. You know, you keep saying, well, when's you going to take it? Sweat coming down. She's, oh, wait a minute. I forgot to fix the film. She's looking. The door slams next door, and old man Bruner comes out, drunk. And he looks down, and he sees this kid in his black gown down there, and turns around and goes back in. <laughs> he figures they finally come for him, you know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I had a very peculiar experience. The reason I'm telling you this story is about 10 days ago, I got a letter from my mother. And in there is that picture. Believe it or not, you know, with the fuzz on the bottom, where the film was a little bad, and a little vague moving where she moved it. And it's just a little bit out of focus. I'm standing over here to the left side. We had a great shot, by the way, of the porch swing. I'm sort of over here, and she says, I thought you might want this. I took a look at this. And I said, good God, great Scott, there I am. And I looked like I'd kind of made out of cream of wheat. <laughs> you, know, you can't believe that there was a time when you were, you were like, a, like a pure snowball. 
like you were like a butterfly that had just emerged from a cocoon. This little, this little creature with the elfin wings who figured that the whole world was your thing. Boy, it's all out there. You know, look at this thing. Holy smokes. Well, I had an experience that followed that picture. It was the graduation speech. Do you remember the graduation speech? Well, we were sitting in the Civic Center. It's like, you know, down here at the big Coliseum, you know, eight million people. And we all filed in, and somehow you feel like a star. You know, everybody's there. There's 400 kids in the graduating class, and you march along. And the band is playing, da, 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 pomp and circumstances. Hammond, Indiana High School graduated, pomp and circumstances. Da, 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 da. And all the way around the whole auditorium, there are millions of mothers. You can hear their girdles creaking. And you can smell all that Woolworth perfume. And you can hear occasional snips, you know, that thing. With a hat. And directly ahead of me is this chick that I have been in love with for four years and dressed in a black gown and she's disappearing. We sit down. Mr. Spohn, the principal, got up. You know, we had a man who was the definitive principal. He was like, well, kind of like Mount Rushmore. You know, carved out of stone. Oh, Mr. Spohn got up and he said, you know, it's a funny thing that happens to teachers. I wonder how it feels to be a teacher. I really do. They must see one generation of the same little klutzes time after time after time after time after until finally it must mold, meld itself into one giant sea, a pulsing sea of humanity. And he stands up there, old Spawn had been teaching for 35 years. And that command, you know, that presence, six feet two, gray hair, he looked like C. Aubrey Smith. Those steel gray suits that he wore, and today he's got a black cutaway. He's got the black tie, and he looks down, says, pupils, we have with us today to deliver a graduation address, an important man. Senator Charles M. Applerot is here today to address you on your future. Well, this man stood up. He was kind of, he, he was built kind of like a basketball with feet. Little round guy, you know, had these jowls that jiggled. He had these two little blue marbles for eyes. He was a real senator. He was bald, a little fringe of hair down there, and he stood up like this, and he came forward, and he looked down at the lectern. This was a guy that was a tremendous speaker. All great senators are, you know, and he was Indiana State Senator. And he looked down. By the way, he'd been mentioned a couple of times for the presidency by three guys in the pool room. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing, see? He also mentioned it to his wife a couple of times, I guess, you know? Don't you see a president there, Madge? By the way, have you ever had the feeling that you'd make a hell of a president? 
Have you ever had that secret feeling that you'd love to be there one day? Sit there at that desk and say, no press conference today. And the whole world says, what's in his mind? And all you're doing is scratching. <laughs> scratching a little. I'll keep him on the edge of it, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, here he gets up there in front of all of us. He's got the lectern. We're all sitting there sweating. And he started out. Honored graduates, parents, constituents, and voters. As I look down over this inspiring vision of young, hopeful faces, I see the future. Me. Schwartz. Flick Bruner. And as we of the older generations pass from our trembling hands, our failing hands, the torch of liberty, we say to you, take it in your hands and carry it forward. This is your trust. And just a time, my electric blue sport coat, which I was wearing under my, my gown, began to send those little horsehair wires that they have in the padding on the shoulders, you know, men. It was beginning to bore itself right into my spleen. And all of a sudden, I had a fantastic urge. <laughs> How do you explain these things on the radio? Well, I had a terrible, terrible... Well, it was a... How do you say it? There's a lot of polite ways to say it. All of a sudden, I realized that I had left the house without doing it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Now, come on. By the way, it probably applies to some of you right here now, so we'll give a 30-second pause. It's over there in the corner there. Well, I'm sitting there, and ooh, it was fantastic. I mean, ooh, you know, that kind of stuff. Ooh, it hit me. Boy, I'm sweating, you know. You know that terrible sweating. Ooh, my eyeballs are sweating and everything. Just sweating like that. Oh, it just hits you. And the more you think about it, the worse it gets, you know. Well, I am sitting there down in that auditorium, and the senator is up there, and he's talking about that metaphorical torch. And all I can think of is that white-tiled room. And I began to think of beautiful ones I'd been in, you know, <laughs> of the good old days, you know. Oh, man, I'm sitting down there, and, and sitting next to me <laughs> is Esther Jane. And Esther Jane has that rapt girl look. You know, girls dig that kind of stuff, ceremonies, weddings, all that. They love that. And she's sitting there like this, and I cannot stand it. I, I just, you know how it, it, all, everything starts to blur, and your mind starts, you know, anybody says, it's, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I looked around, and here's this whole gigantic gymnasium. And I reach over, I, I out, of, out of my terror, I reach over and I grab a hold of Esther Jane. I got her arm. Maybe if I hold on to something, it'll be all right. And she looks at me, and she says, how sweet. Ha, 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 ha.
Well, I'll tell you now, this may seem to you in bad taste, but it's life, you know. And I presume life itself is in bad taste in a lot of ways. Well, I'll, uh, every time now, when I hear pomp and circumstance, you know what they tell? <laughs> even now, even I sent it. I got you know, we'll take five minutes now for news. I'll be back. Well, every time, it's like Pavlov and his dogs. Every time I pick up the magazines, you know, and it's, you know, there's an ad, it says, for the young graduate. And it shows this wristwatch. Why do they think the graduates always got to know what time it is? You know, it says, for the young graduate, immediately. It sets in. Well, I'll tell you, this graduation thing came to a head last year. I... I went down to the office, and I'm, I'm looking through my mail. You know all that junk mail from loan places? There's an outfit that is still under the impression that I have a secret ambition to be a detective. <laughs> and they teach mail-order detecting. I wrote to them when I was 11. <laughs> and they're in Kansas City, Missouri. It's the Ace Correspondence Detective School. They're old friends of mine now. They... <laughs> I've gotten 3,000 letters from them, you know, their, their management has changed and everything. I know the whole inner workings of it. And they always start out and they say, Dear Mr. Shepard, have you made the decision yet? <laughs> there is big money in police work. And every month I letter and I read it, and it tells about how I can take the fingerprinting courses and I read this. Then I read all the, all the little letters I get out from Missouri. There's a place out in Missouri where they lend you money on your signature only. Somehow they got my name. I read that, you know, and I'm sitting there in my swivel chair, kind of enjoying this. I get one letter from an angry old lady who says her husband Charles can't stand me, and I'm not. I'm kind of, everything's normal, you see. And down in the bottom of the pile is the last letter. Just a letter. I open it up, and it said, Dear Mr. Shepherd, we would like to have you address the graduating class of the Whoopieville High School. <laughs> Says, we feel, we feel that the students would enjoy it and you have a message to give to the students. Sign the principal, the superintendent, the whole bit. I couldn't believe it. Shepard has gotten official. I'm up there with the senators. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. All of my life, when I was in school, I, there was one thing that scared the daylights out of me. It was that fear of being called up to talk in front of the class. You remember? Oh, I used to walk. I, we, had a, we, had a, we had a public speaking class that Miss Breifogel taught. And I used to cross to the other side of the hall every day, walking past that room. It just scared me. And the one time that I did speak before the class, did I ever tell you about the time I ran for president of the junior class? Oh, what a moment that was. I'm sitting there in Miss Snyder's class. She was my advisor. She has an advisor. She, the only, the, she never once gave me a word of advice. Just sit down or shut up. The best advice, by the way, I could ever get, actually. You know? <laughs> now that I think about it, gee, I'd have gotten ahead along. Well, gee whiz, I would listen to her. Anyway. Miss Snyder sat up there like a little Buddha, little gray-haired Buddha. In fact, do you remember those three monkeys? What did those three monkeys say? Hear no evil, see no evil, and uh... Oh, no, it's on the tip of my tongue. What was it, the other one there? Boy, wouldn't that be a dull life? 
<laughs> hear no evil, see no evil, kick no evil. Just nothing, see. Well, Miss Miss Snyder had the look of the of the monkey on the left. She used to just sit up there with her hands like this all the time. She must have had fantastic migraine headaches just from looking at this stream of Indiana klutzes, you know. Sit there like that all day long. And one day, Miss Snyder announced that they were holding nominations for the president of the junior class. Now, you all of us sitting here in this room, I'll guarantee you, by looking at the number of horn rim glasses and the number of jowls in this room, and the number of, of vaguely scared looks around the eye, that you were part of the same crowd of kids I was part of. That's just the great herd. And there was always another little tiny crowd. You remember that crowd, the prom queens? The presidents? The kids that edited the papers? It was always the same crowd, that little thing going, already, you know, it was starting at the age of 15, you know, the little in-group and the out-group. There was the kid that was the sports editor. There was the kid that edited the yearbook. And then there was us. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm mean? You just never, you never even voted for class praise. You don't know how to get, you know, that. All of a sudden, there's this kid, he's running the class, you know, and there's another kid running this, another kid running the dramatic class. And there was the rest. Well, Miss Snyder. Miss Snyder said, it was apparently, you know, nobody ever got nominated from her rooms. <laughs> we were in a second-class room already. Oh, yeah. Way down there, tucked in the back next to the printing class, you know. You could smell, you could smell the, the, the chem lab across the hall. And every morning we'd sit in there. And Miss Snyder said, they're taking nominations for the president of the junior class. Now, all of you are juniors. It is your civic duty to get involved in this thing. Apparently, this is the thing she did every year with the juniors. And one of the kids behind me said, Hey, Shep, I'm going to nominate you. Oh, no, no. But there's a thing that says, Yeah, yeah, man, go, you know. Please, nominate me. Yeah, I'm going to nominate you, old Doppler says. I'm going to nominate you. <laughs> well, you know, we laughed and I hit him. You know, he hits me. And we sit there for a couple of minutes and that was the end of it. And we go into history class. Well, four days later, in front of the office, you know, we had the bulletin board. They had a list. It said... Official nominees for the office of junior class president, Hammond High School. Who was third down the list? With all the rest of the official ones, you know, all those kids, you know, to run the yearbook and all. There's this guy in the middle of it. Who is this guy? It's me. The next morning, I am in room 220, and Miss Snyder calls me up to the front of the class. And she says, Gene, you're going to represent room 220. You're nominated for the presidency of the junior class. What is your platform? <laughs> like more yelling, you know? You know, what is your platform? Like, have fun, you know? What is my platform? Platform, Gene. And she said, now, I want you to think about this. You've been nominated. 
I want you to think about the things that you stand for. What are you going to do? Why should they vote for you instead of Alex Joshua, who was the president of the whole world, you know? I couldn't figure it out. You know, well, 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 I got to think, you know? So I went home that night, and I sat at the kitchen table. I, now, I'm going to tell you how high school politics work. I sat at the kitchen table, and I tried to write down what I stood for. Mrs. Snyder told me that's what you should do, you know, write down like honesty. I stand for good people, that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there, and my mother said, what are you doing? I said, I'm running for president of junior class, Ma. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen an orchid bloom? You could just see my mother's bathrobe get bigger. You could see the stains on her lapel beginning to glow, you know, those egg stains that have been on her since I was three, you know. Her curlers began to send out radiation signals, you know. She says, President of the junior class? You know, I was a C-minus student. <laughs> you know, she could figure me in a back room, some smoky back room back at Jake's barber shop, figuring out, you know. I said, yes, Mom, I've been nominated. She said, you're nominated for president of the junior class? I said, yes. She said, who nominated you? I said, I don't know. I knew it was Doppler. I wanted to pretend it was unknown admiring groups. You know? Well, the next thing I knew, I am being interviewed. How many of you have ever been interviewed by a paper? I am actually the first time in my life I am being interviewed by the high school paper. And Alice Longnecker, who was one of these girls who lived in the distance in the big house on the hill, the beautiful girls who was writing everything in the paper, you know, and did the modern dance and all that jazz. Alice Longnecker is saying, uh, what is it that you propose to bring into the governing of the junior class? Well, I said, I, I'm not prepared yet to make a statement. <laughs> already the mind is going. See, I was already getting there. See, I said, I am saving this. Well, I'm saving this for the campaign. And she said, all right, I'll put that in the paper, that you have a surprise. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Little realizing what the surprise was going to be. Well, the next week, the paper comes out, and they had a whole page of what the candidates stand for. Alex Jossaway, he was standing for, he was standing for things like uh, shorter study periods, longer lunch periods. There should be more period given to devotional time. That, he was doing that for Mr. Rupp, by the way. We all had our little bit, and down at the bottom, it said, Mr. Shepard says, that he is about to spring a surprise. <laughs> well, from that minute on, I was made in room 220. All the kids are talking, you know, chef's running for office. And I was kind of big, oh, you, you, you'd be surprised how power goes to your head. I can understand Hitler. Seriously, I can understand how Hitler must have felt. That feeling, you know, of having people look at you and say, well, chief, what next? I said, well, I'll tell you in the morning. 
Just cool it. Well, okay, it's all right as long as you're running. Now, for those of you who have ever thought of running for anything, I'm going to tell you what happened. It's okay before your tag. The day arrived on a Wednesday in the auditorium session when all of the candidates were to speak to the assembled junior class, all 890 of them, and give their platforms and give their campaign speeches. Have you ever stood on a platform looking at the back of your principal? Well, for years, I've been sitting down there in that bait, you know, that great mob that sits down there and snickers. <laughs> and laughs. Look, look at that. Look at that idiot up there. Hey, 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 Charlie, Charlie, go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Let's all laugh together. Come on. Let's go. Let's all that stuff. Hey, hey. Hey, baby. Hey, how about biology too? I'll see you there. And all the while, as somebody up there this, all of a sudden, I'm up there. Never gave a speech in my life. My idea of speaking was giving my dad a lie. You know, that was a big public speech, you know. And I'm sitting up there, and they've got us all lined up next to this big maroon curtain, and you could, I could smell the curtain. You know that funny, dusty, mothy, purple, kind of uh, old sandwich smell that you smell in schools? I could smell the curtain, and down there in front of me was the orchestra, and they're playing the National Emblem March. And you could hear the kids coming in. They're all filing in. And Mr. Spone is sitting in front of us at a chair all by himself, the gray hair. And behind him, there were 15 kids running for office. I just sat. They filed in. I could hear the sound of their feet. I could hear them breathing. I could hear them laughing. I could hear those evil little snide remarks floating. And then Spone got up and he, children, today, I'm not going to have any preamble, but this is an important thing. You are about to elect the president of your class. Your class will have only one president. Listen to what they have to say and don't vote because somebody's cute. Poor Spone, he was fighting a losing battle. <laughs> and he said, I want you to listen carefully and think of the good of the... And I have not come up in the entire three weeks with one single thing I stand for. I'm sitting there, scared to death. And Spone said, and now the first person we will hear from is Dawn Adams from Miss Hockshire's class room 173. Most of you know Dawn. She is the editor of the yearbook. She was the sophomore class president last year. Dawn, as you know, led the Senate in the debate over the lunch period issue last year. And now let's hear from Dawn and this fantastic chick got up. You know, the chick that's been winning all of her life. And she started to go. It was like violins. You could hear the cellos playing. And she just rolled it all out, this beautiful speech. A great thunderous roar of applause. And she sat down. The next kid, Alec Jossaway, who'd been... Every, every boy in this room, I don't know whether girls have it, 
But every boy, every ex-kid in this room has an enemy. There was one guy who was your nemesis for one reason or another, and Joshua had been on my back for years. Joshua was a, he was, he was a born hitter in the mouth. But Joshua was one of those guys that had a cute smile. You know, he had a cleft chin. He had curly black hair. He played halfback on the football team. And he had lived four doors for me ever since I, I, I was in the prenatal state. Everything I did, Joshua did better. Every last thing. And Joshua got up there and he grinned out there. And you could just feel a great wave of love. Ooh. Just a tremendous, great purple, silk, sweet wave of adulation. He was the high school star. He'd scored four touchdowns against Roosevelt High, and he still had his arm in a sling. Can you imagine a halfback with his arm in a sling running for the president of the class? And he stood up there and he says, Well, <laughs> hi, gang. Boom! A roar of applause. He says, That's all I got to say. And they applauded for 20 minutes. He sat down. And I am sitting next to this very serious little kid. You know, the little kid who grows up to be a post reader? You know that kind of kid, the very serious little kid? He's the kind of guy who writes letters to the Times. He's sitting next to me, little Julius Pewewire. He weighed 17 pounds. And he was six feet three. He had glasses that stuck out three feet in front of him, you know. And, and all through high school, I would sit next to P.Y. I see my name is an S. We were all sitting there together, you know, at P.S. and all that. He would moan. He was the kind who would just sit there and moan slightly. Oh, the weight of suffering was on Julius even then. Julius, Julius saw the war, he saw the whole world as gigantic forces of evil on all sides. And Julius P. is next to me. He's running for the president of the junior class. And poor little Julie, Mr. Stone said, and now we will hear from Julius P. member of the Honor Society, president of the debating team, vice president of the Deep Thinkers League, president of the Warriors Club, Julius has given much to the school, and now we will hear from Julius Pewawar. And Julius got up, and he had this dry voice, that, that kind of pedantic, it sounded like Eric Severide. He sort of had that thing. As we all know, many things are amiss in our own departure. Think carefully how you treat... And he went on with this beautiful speech, but you could just see coming out of that auditorium the great wave of indifference. <laughs> and he had this beautiful, clearly reasoned platform. He had all little A's and B's. He was speaking in this, this great, logical way, and nobody gave a damn. And it was a polite little round of applause, and Julie sat down. And who was up next? Oh, ooh. and I could smell, I could smell those gym shoes out there. 
you know, and I could see all the, the, the whole band is looking up at me, and I could see the bass drum down there, and I could smell the curtain behind me, and I could smell my soul burning. Mr. Spohn says, Shepherd, the Shepherd, Shepherd, I don't hear anything, my ears are buzzing. Shepherd, I get up. I, I, you know, I, I look down, and all of a sudden, I'm standing there. I go, <laughs> There's another phony down there. And the crowd is a fantastic roar of applause. You know, I sat down. I couldn't wait. My knees are creaking and my suit is scratching. I sit down. And the applause of Mr. Spone nods. He says, very good speech. Very good. Very good. And now we will hear from Charles Strickland. And the rest of the program went on like a dream. I sat up there like Caesar. You know, it was like, it must be the way a chick feels after giving birth to triplets. You know, what a fantastic feeling, you know. She would just sit there in the bed and say, well, I did it. They left, but I did it. You know those, those ads that they have in the camel? Have you ever seen the camel TV ads? When it shows these guys finishing a job, the guy's running a great big crane, the ball drops and squashes St. Peter's or whatever it is. It says, well, when you finish the big job, it's time for a camel. And he lights it up, you know. <laughs> I've often thought of some really great commercials that could do that, you know. For example, I've thought of this one where you can see the back of a dictator, see. And he's up on a, he's up on a balcony, see, and they're hollering, Sig Ho! Sig Ho! Sig Ho! You see these people roaring, the armies march past, and he says, And be well go and get them! Boom! He walks, it's time for a camel now. <laughs> well, that was the first time I ever had that feeling. You know, I'm sitting up on the platform. I did it. This is the thing that I know. I've been dreading all of my life of getting up in front of I did it. They applauded. I'm through. And I sat there, you know. Boy, old Julie's sitting next to me. He's moaning. He's crying, you know. He knew he wasn't going to win. Joshua sat down there, you know, with his arm in a sling, looking official. Dawn sat down at the other end, looking mad at the great speech I had given. Well, the next day at two, the polls opened. All the kids filed into their homeroom to deposit their vote. Have you ever run for office? Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean, you know. Oh, it's terrible, I'll tell you. To find yourself, you know, most of us can sneak by in life without ever being put to the test without ever actually finding out if they loved you or not. We could sneak by thinking, gee, everybody kind of likes me, you know. 
just don't ask them. <laughs> I've given you a word of advice. Don't ask them. Old Shep goes down there, you know, he goes into room 220. Now, what does a candidate do? Does he vote for himself? Yes. Absolutely. Four times in the box, you know. And me and Doppler, I'm saying, oh, Doppler, you nominated me. I expect you to vote for me now. Well, they started to count the votes. They were going to announce it the next day at 8 a.m. when we came into our homerooms. And you know they had the PA system? You ever seen it in the school where they connect with the office? Well, 8 o'clock in the morning, I am in school oh, all night, you know, there's a, like jello inside. Little wiggling, if you can imagine, oyster jello. Wiggling down there with little feet, you know. Oh, I'm all excited. I can hardly wait. Eight o'clock in the morning, I'm sure. Miss Snyder is sitting up in front, and she's telling us about the little announcements that homeroom teachers have. And she says, in five minutes, Mr. Spone is gonna, going to talk about the junior class election. And as you know, all of us here in room 220 are proud of Gene. He is representing us. And Let's all wish him the best of luck. <laughs> I'm sitting back here, you know, with the S's, way in the back of the room. And everybody turns around, you know, they look, you know, they look. So I'll turn around, you know. One guy turns around, gives me a yeah, obscene gesture, you know. <laughs> I give him a look, you know, I sit back. Here's the candidate waiting, see? You know, through my mind, I had this little thought, boy, when I get in office, there's going to be a lot of guys in trouble <laughs> in the junior class. Let me tell you, I'm sitting back there, all excited. And a couple of more little nondescript announcements, and then on came the PA system. You can hear it hum. <laughs> that voice. Pupils, this is Mr. Spone speaking. We have this morning the honor to announce the winner of the election for junior class president of Hammond High School. We will begin with the office of treasurer. The treasurer as nominated and elected by 322 votes, Albert Robertson. The treasurer second or assistant treasurer will be. And he goes on and on and on. He's waiting. This guy milked it. All right, Don, you know. He's waiting. He goes through the treasurer. He goes through the secretary. He goes through the recorder. He goes through every the, the president of the prom committee. And then it came. And now the president of the junior class next year will be Alex Joshua, there's a dead silence in my room. <laughs> I slunk down in my seat. And he said, the candidates, and then he did a terrible thing. I'll never forget Spoon for this. Oh, I, every time I think of it. He, be, he proceeded to read the candidates in the order of the votes they got. He read name after name after name. And guess who ran 13 in a field of 15? 
No, Don Strickland. <laughs> oh, man, speaking of also rands, what station is this? Big Apple, that'll take care of Trenton. <laughs> well, you know, it's a funny thing. I think most of our lives are built around the relationship between men and women. No matter what you do, Freud said it, a lot of other people have said it, but have you noticed that very few plays, very few novels, very few movies... Very few arguments, very few murders have anything to do with anything else. It's men and women. Well, as I looked at my picture, that picture of the graduating class, you know, and I'm standing there in front of the house, and I can see the old porch behind me. I can see the snowball bushes. I can see my mother's thumb on the lens. <laughs> and here is that, that, that kind of, that kind of, cream of wheat face looking out of that hat that big mortar board I thought to myself the minute I looked at it I said that was before you met all those women in your life oh yeah each one of the men in this crowd is a tiny catalog of all the chicks he's ever known and of course most of the girls that they're with don't know at least uh, I'd say they don't know 90% of the women that these guys have known in one way or another. Teachers, dates, isn't it true, men? Yeah, yeah and you know, you, and, 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 and the ones that you really, that really, I think, have the most effect on you are not the ones that you get involved with with the long term. You know, there's some chick you go with for two years or somebody you marry for 150, you know. I'm talking about the one you've got the sudden, it's like a virulent disease. The sudden, fantastic, uncontrollable, incredible infatuation in your mind each one of you there's a little circular file and in that circular file there is filed a little collection of kodachromes mental kodachrome slides and on those slides are these chicks looking out at you with those grins all of them all the way back there well I took a look at that picture and I said to myself, I don't know why that picture reminded me of it. Jeanette Dombrowski. <laughs> Suddenly, Jeanette floated out of my like some myth, you know, fantastic. You know, it's, it's like those ships that pass. Why think of Jeanette Dombrowski? I knew her three days. <laughs> Nothing happened. I just knew Jeanette Dombrowski. Well, I'll tell you about Jeanette Dombrowski. I'm going to college. And I have just left that high school. And I am now on the campus. That friendly... That's all right. Be calm. <laughs> it's a prop anyway. I'm on that campus, you know, and, and I don't know how many of you remember the, the fantastic feeling of excitement of arriving on a campus after you've been in high school. You're away from home. Your home, your mother, your, your family, your dad, everybody is like in another planet now. I walked around this fantastic green grass growing in the trees, these Georgian fraternity houses, and I'm about 
I'd say roughly 17 and a tenth age. Pimply. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. All right. Listen, some people collect stamps. <laughs> Listen, I had a collection. Boy, I'll tell you, I put up with anybody. Some of my most pleasant hours were spent in front of a mirror. <laughs> Popping. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got so I get all the way across the room. You know, watch this. Let's say, watch this, Randy, the chandelier, bing, you know. <laughs> oh, that's a terrible taste, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true life, you know. There it is, it's existence. And so I'm on the campus, and I go down to the bookstore. You know, the campus bookstore where you get the notebooks and all that? And I pick up the notebook I needed or whatever it was, and I'm going past the counter to the place where they had the cash register. And there she was, Jeanette Dombrowski. Well, Jeanette Dombrowski reminded me of a galleon under full sail. You know, I had the feeling, it was, up, up to this point, I had been used to little girls who lived at home, little people like Esther Jane and Eileen Akers. Jeanette Dombrowski reminded me of somebody who had little air valves around. And every morning they inflated her. Oh, she was there, see. And you know, I had been reading up to this point, I had been reading all kinds of books down in the basement. Next, <laughs> I'm leveling here. Next to the coal bin, I had a collection of books which I hid behind the old icebox by the pile of tires that my father had next to the wall. And this, uh, one of the whole series of books was called Campus Cuties. And it, it, was, it, was, it was called Spicy Campus Tales. You know, like spicy western, spicy detective. Let's put it this way, it was a very early candy. <laughs> And I knew what to expect at college, see? Or at least what they said was in these books. Oh, boy, fantastic stuff happened in the fraternity houses or sorority houses. And here I am, I'm on the campus of Indiana. 40,000 students everywhere, and I am a genuine freshman. And there is Jeanette Dombrowski. <laughs> well, Jeanette was a red-haired Polish girl. And she sat back there... Believe me, she played on that, she played on that cash register like she was playing a Wurlitzer. She sat there, you know, with one hand. She was a graduate of some business college, and she had that nice sort of bland, passionate, animal quality that you see in certain secretaries. Their mind uncluttered by anything. Nothing. They're a collection of glands. Well, I take a look at Jeanette Dombrowski, and I said, the notebook here. And she says, okay, ding, dong, dong, 42 cents with tax. I put it out, sort of stood there for a second, and then it came out. First time in my life I ever did it. I have never picked up a girl in my life up to this point. I said, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a student. Here <laughs> we are, you know, on the campus. She's, yes, I know. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.